Welcome to the Diversity, Inclusion, and Belonging Teams podcast, Why Language Matters. This podcast is meant to explore words, their meaning, and how we can use language to be inclusive. Welcome to today's episode, Service Animals. Today we're going to talk about the different kinds of service, therapy, emotional support animals that we hear about a lot. I've noticed in the last five or 10 years that more and more dogs, more and more animals are seen out and about with their human companions. So when people are going out to restaurants and dining with their friends, when they're running errands, you know, going to Home Depot or even Home Goods, people just enjoy bringing their pet out places. And I cannot blame them. I am a culprit myself. I love my dogs. I am an animal enthusiast. I really enjoy taking my dogs out to restaurants when I'm eating out with friends, when I'm running errands, really just everywhere that I possibly can. Obviously, sometimes they're not allowed to go in places. So when I go into the dentist, I'm not taking my dog. And that's totally fine. You know, there there's certain places that I'm a-okay with, you know, leaving them at home. You know, and I have noticed that it can be an inconvenience. You know, sometimes if you have your animal out and about and you're meeting up with friends, you find a really great restaurant to eat at, you get really excited and you walk up and they don't allow dogs. It's service dogs only. So what do you do? I've uh, personally seen a few people sort of go around this. And so that's what I want to talk about today. What is a service dog? Why are service dogs allowed to go places when other animals or dogs cannot? What's the difference between a service dog, a therapy dog, and an emotional support animal? And if you need one of these types of animals or dogs, how can you go about getting one? So i um, really excited for today's episode and we're, we'll, we'll start introducing ourselves. My name is Nicole Doyle. My pronouns are she, her, and hers, and I'm based out of Southern California. My name is Badiana Badio. My pronouns are she, her, and hers. I'm based out of Massachusetts. My name is Hillary Brown. My pronouns are she, her, and hers, and I'm based out of Seattle, Washington. My name is Eric Latender, he, him, his, and I'm in Westport, Massachusetts. So uh, I've been training dogs since uh, 1988. I got a job on a canine unit in Hartford, Connecticut. I did that for about seven years and then uh, went off, started my own business in 1995, and uh, been in business ever since. I had uh, three different dog training businesses. I've had a uh, boarding training, grooming, and daycare business. Then I uh, sold that, and I went completely online for about six, seven years. And then uh, I reopened a new location here in Westport. So now back to brick and mortar. So now I'm kind of doing both brick and mortar and uh, online. Awesome. Sounds like a pretty fun career. (laughs) It's probably something a lot of people would love to do. Yeah, it's great. I mean, um, I just didn't want a job where I was in a cubicle every day, you know, going way back. And, uh, and it's a great job. You get to meet so many nice people. You get to work with dogs every day. It's never boring. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah. So you said you, you work with pets mostly, is that right? Yeah, the majority of my business now is just working with pet owners. Um, people that have a dog usually have some kind of behavior problems that they're dealing with, jumping, chewing, barking, biting, digging, and, uh, you know, pulling on leash. So they come to us, we put them through a program, And um, we really work with the owners to help them understand the whole training process. 
instead of just throwing you into a class, we like to sit down with you and work with you so that you have an understanding of how dog training works. Yeah, that makes sense. Somebody always told me, like, we don't train dogs, we train their owners. (laughs) Yeah, it it says I'm a dog trainer on my taxes, but really I'm a people trainer. I spend most of my time training the owners to train their dogs. We have a dog who has a little rough around the edges. My uh, my fiance rescued her a couple years ago and she had some abuse in the first years of her life. So she still has a couple of a couple of idiosyncrasies that we are um, going to be pursuing uh, some more training because yeah. um, she just needs to. But it's definitely a little bit of a little bit of our fault. We need some boundaries. Good point. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, that's we get a lot of that, you know. And- the hardest thing is not so much training the dog. The hardest thing is trying to help the owner change their ways. A lot of people, they just don't have boundaries for their dogs. And if the dog doesn't have any boundaries, you're going to have problems, big problems in some situations, with some breeds. Well, hopefully we'll do a little bit of training here for some of our, our fellow pet owners. And, you know, what is service animals? What are pets? Eric, do you have any experience with training service animals or therapy animals or working animals? Yes. So when I used to work at this place called Connecticut Canine in Newington, Connecticut. I worked there for a short period of time and they actually trained dogs for deaf people. So we did some of that work where we would help the dog perform any kind of task that would help the deaf person. So if they dropped their keys, if the fire alarm was going off, somebody was ringing the doorbell, uh, something like that, the dog would notify the owner. So that's, that's where I started working with service dogs. And then with my business, we do Canine Good Citizen. Have you ever heard of that program put out by the American Kennel Club? So the American Kennel Club puts out this program called the Canine Good Citizen. And almost every therapy dog, every emotional support dog, every service dog gets their Canine Good Citizen. It's a a test that they go through and there's 10 parts to the test. You have to pass all 10. And if they do, then they get certified through the American Kennel Club. So it's the CGC, the Canine Good Citizen test is a lot like the therapy dog tests. If they can pass the canine good citizen, in most cases, they can pass the therapy dog tests that are out there. So we don't do therapy dog training at our school, but we do do canine good citizen, which is kind of like the the stepping off point if you're going to go into therapy work. We have a lot of people that come in, a lot of dog owners that come in that want to go on to doing therapy work with their dog. So what we do is we put them through the canine good citizen program and help them pass the test. And then after that, what we do is we hook them up. There's different organizations out there. One of the most popular ones is called Therapy Dogs International. And so what you would do is you would actually join their organization, TDI, Therapy Dogs International. And they have their own test and you would pass their test. And once you become a member of Therapy Dogs International, you're covered by their insurance. And then you can start going into hospitals and schools and doing those types of things. And so that's where most people go when it comes to therapy dogs. And um, it's great, especially if you have a nice dog that you want to you know, do some things with, if you want to go bring some happiness into somebody's life. Don't know how much you can do that right now, but hopefully within a short period of time, we'll be able to start doing more visits and things like that to uh, schools and hospitals. So that's, that's what a lot of people do. And, and as you were saying earlier, there's, there's basically therapy dogs, emotional support dogs, and service dogs. And everybody wants their dog to go places with them nowadays on the planes, into restaurants, and it's becoming a problem. It really is. Because everybody's saying they have they have a service dog. You can go on Amazon right now, and I think it's like 150 bucks. You can get a whole little kit. It's a little kit mailed to you. It has a vest for your dog. You have a little uh, dog tag. You have a little certificate, and your dog is now a service dog. 
<laughs> and that's not good because you, if it's a service dog, you really have to make sure that that dog's providing a service for that person. And they need that dog, canine dog, you know, for blind people, deaf dogs. There's a lot of service dogs now for people that go into seizures right before they have a seizure. The dog can notify that person so they can get medical help. So when this service dog um, situation is abused, it really hurts the people that need it because you see it's starting to clamp down now. They're getting much, much stricter with what's actually a service dog. I had a call yesterday from a guy. He lives in the summer. He lives in Westport. In the winter, he lives in California. His wife has a dog, emotional support dog. But from what I understand, they just changed the laws on uh, the flights, planes. Now it has to be a certified service dog. He wanted me to sign some paperwork saying he had a service dog. I've never met this guy. I've never done any training with him or his dog. And he's calling me out of the blue, asking me to sign off that he has a service dog because he wants to be able to fly. And I understand where he's coming from because they've done this for years. But now, as I said, they were getting much stricter because it was getting a little ridiculous. People were bringing horses on planes, pigs, snakes. You know, we also have taken into consideration, what if what if someone on that plane has allergies? So yeah. it's getting kind of sticky. And that's this is why um, they're getting much stricter with it. And service dogs can go anywhere. You can't stop a service dog from going anywhere on a flight, in a hotel, in a restaurant, in a hospital. That service dog's allowed to go everywhere. Emotional support and therapy dogs, not so much. And I've been places where someone has said, this is my service dog, is the dog's lunging at me, trying to bite me, you know? And uh, I'm like, that's a service dog? <laughs> you can't even walk that dog. What's it going to do for you? So this is where training is so important and, and being honest with what, you know, what that dog is doing for that owner. Yeah, exactly. And you, you brought up so many great points that I want to I start to kind of unravel a little bit of yeah. that for our listeners. Uh, so they can kind of get their head around, you know, what is a service dog? What does that mean? Why is that so different than a therapy dog or an emotional support animal? Maybe somebody is kind of, you know, like, oh, I, I think I do need one of these, but I don't know which one. So, so perhaps we can kind of help people sort of untangle that. And I'd like to start with, with service dogs, um, yeah. because that is the one that, you know, comes top of mind to everyone. And so let's kind of start digging in there. So service dogs are trained to help people with disabilities, disabilities uh, that can come in either the physical or visual impairments, um, mental illnesses, seizure disorders, like you talked about, diabetes. These are dogs, and, and I'm saying dogs for service dogs, because it is dogs that are able to be service dogs. Now, because I, I did a little bit of research for this episode, there are very specific cases where it could potentially be a miniature horse, but we're not going to go into that. We're just going to talk about service dogs. So service dogs are, are working dogs that are trained to do a specific task for somebody with a disability or some kind of a, a health issue. So that would be, I think, like you said, Eric, if somebody is prone to seizures, they may have a dog who's trained to foresee those seizures coming and perform various tasks to help that person before they become in distress. Right. So it could be, you know, laying down on the floor to um, provide cushion for that person or right. holding them down as they're experiencing the seizure. And so 
you know, that's, that's really specifically what service dogs are for. And actually from my research, and I'd love to hear your thoughts um, on this, Eric, is there is no specific one thing that people have to certify their service dogs with. There is no central organization, mandated organization. There is no specific certification, mandated certification that is sort of universal. And there's no one organization that can sort of ordain dogs as, okay, this is a service dog and this one isn't. And it is up to the person with a disability to determine how and who they want to train their dog, which I think is great. But then that also kind of opens up, you know, like you saw in that situation where it's like this, this dog can't even go on a walk. How is it going to do a task for you? (laughs) And and you hit the the nail right on the head is that service dogs are highly trained dogs where I'm from. I'm from Hartford, Connecticut. That's where I grew up. And uh, there's an organization there called Fidelco, uh, seeing eyes dogs for the blind. And these dogs go through intense training. We're talking years before they're turned out into the public. And there's so much that goes into training a service dog because it's not just the dog performing that task for the owner. It's also the dog's temperament that plays a huge role. When I used to live in Connecticut, I knew someone and what they would do is they would take the puppies from Fidelco. They're all German shepherds at at, uh, Fidelco and uh, they would take the puppies and the, the puppies would actually go live with a family for the first 10 months and they would do all the puppy training. And then the puppies get brought back to Fidelco and then they go through like another year and a half, two years of training. And I would say two out of the 10 dogs make it. So there's a huge amount of dogs that are just washed out and they go into families' homes and things like that. And so we're talking about a very high level of training when it comes to a service animal. And so to just say, I have a service dog or I want a service dog, there's so much more to it than that. And this is, this is where it gets a little kind of crazy, as you were saying, because there's no organization that says, yeah, you have an official service dog. It's like dog trainers. There's no organization that says, you are a dog trainer. Anybody can say, anybody here on the call today can say, I'm a dog trainer. You can go make cards, start giving them out in the public and say, I'm a professional dog trainer. No one's going to question you about it. And so with service dogs, that's what you have going on is that people go, well, I have this, this problem and I want to get a dog. And I want to train it to be a service animal. And the dog's temperament may not be cut out for that. And so this is why there's so much more to it when it comes to service animals than um, a lot of people think. And really, if you have a disability, there are organizations out there that train dogs. And that's really where people should start. Because I see it the other way. What they do is they go, well, I want a dog to do this. And then they go pick out a puppy. And really, it's better if they went to an organization that was geared for that and knows what to look for in that puppy's temperament and then train it up. And this is why, uh, again, service dogs, service animals really are much more than the emotional support dogs or the therapy dogs. It's really good to know my, my mom is visually impaired and she will probably in the next 10 years or so be uh, completely blind. She's always had dogs as pets. And now she's like, I never want, she never wants to take care of a dog again. But uh, so I think we need to work on maybe reframing a service dog is she's not really going to have to take care of it. It is going to take care of her. I mean, she'll, you know, need to feed it, feed it and whatnot, but it's not the same type of responsibility as a pet. Right. 
Right. And so that she would want to look into some of these different organizations mm -hmm. like Fidelco. These dogs are usually like $20,000, $25,000 dogs when they're done with training. Mm -hmm. So, Also, when I was doing the research, I noticed that the American Disabilities Act website has a lot of really great um, information on what is considered a service dog and the different um, disabilities that they consider service animals in quotes. So, of course, we've talked about a few, the guide dog or seeing eye dog. For someone who's visually impaired, we have the hearing or signal dog, a trained to alert a person who has significant hearing loss or is deaf when a sound occurs, psychiatric service dog, that's a dog that has been trained to perform tasks that assist individuals with disabilities to detect onset of psychiatric episodes, and then, then the sensory signal dogs or social signal dogs, that's to assist a person potentially with autism to help them distract them from repetitive movements which are common among a person that has autism. And then the seizure response dog helps someone who has a seizure disorder. And it's not limited to, but these are most of the ones that are considered, you know, service animals. And then uh, the rest of the disabilities or disorders or assistance needed, they claim is under support or therapy animals. So I battle with depression, anxiety. For those avid listeners who have listened to us, you probably have heard a lot of my life experiences. People who have anxiety and depression, you know, sometimes a dog or an animal helps. I can just say firsthand that it absolutely does. I remember it was about two, two and a half years ago now. I had two dogs, a 12-year-old King Charles Spaniel and a, an eight-year-old English Bulldog. And they were just my world, my little fur babies. And living in Southern California, you can take, you know, walk them to the beach. You can take them many, many places. And I, I didn't think that I needed an emotional service animal at that time. So I didn't register either of those. They were just my pets. And they passed away within eight months of each other at a time where I was also going through a lot of family issues. And and I found myself in a really, really tough situation. And so, you know, after being dogless for a few weeks, I, I really tried being dogless. People are like, oh, give it a few months. You're going to love it. You're going to love not having the responsibility. I hated it. So I, I tried my best and I realized that I needed a dog. So I like scrambled and uh, one of my childhood dogs was a golden retriever. And I was like, great. I'm in my thirties. I live in SoCal. Like I can finally... <laughs> manage a golden retriever and all that energy. Uh, so I went and got myself a golden retriever and I just really spiraled into this place where I really recognized that I needed this dog and that if anything happened to that dog, I was not going to be okay. And so I, I went and I talked with a licensed therapist who asked me various questions. I was very honest with that person and, and my mental state at that time and what my needs were. And they certified my dog as an ESA. So he is an emotional support animal. He's, um, he's a golden retriever. He has the disposition to be that when I'm in a depressive state, when I'm in, uh, when I'm physically hurt, even um, if I like go to bed in the middle of the day, that dog just comes and curls right up next to me. Like he knows exactly what he needs to do. Uh, there was, you know, no training involved and no training needed uh, other than, you know, the, the puppy training. Right. So I found myself very fortunate with that. And then I started kind of going into this world of like, okay, well, what's the difference between a service and a therapy and an emotional service animal? And, uh, and I had a lot of friends that would tell me like, oh no, you have an ESA. That's a support animal. Just get this vest and take it, you know, with you so that that way, if anybody ever says otherwise, you can prove that you, you have a support dog. 
And it was no malice, right? I think people just really thought that. So we just adopted a puppy. Um, Eric knows that because we are sending our puppy through Eric's school. And he has a phenomenal temperament. His name's Cooper. Um, however, I mean, we, of course, I'm not going to pretend that I don't want to take, I pretty much take that dog everywhere. But I always do my research and make sure like we went into the city, city meaning Boston, and I made sure that we found a place that actually accept like allowed pets to be there. He does like to Eric's point, we have been monitoring Cooper's temperament. And since the day that we got him, he has a fantastic temperament. He's very loving. He just hangs out under the table with us. We give him his like bone and he chills out until a swarm of people see him and they're like, oh my God, can we touch him? Can we pet him? And then we let him uh, get socialized with the various people that want to interact with him. But I know a lot of my motivation for getting this puppy was because my partner has uh, anxiety, suffers from anxiety and depression. And although we haven't talked about getting Cooper certified as an ESA, I did that because I know that's one of the ways that I want to help him manage it and um you know just make allow him to coexist with his um depression and his um, anxiety so it's been a dramatic dramatic improvement so just finding different ways to support your family and give cooper a great life as a family pet and then also being mindful of what establishments allow dogs like him to be at and just understanding like what is his mood that day is he in a mood where he can be in a public setting where we're not disrupting other patrons or we're not in a sense, negatively impacting someone who needs a service dog, et cetera. Just being mindful of like how, where we're taking him, how we're taking him and how we're interacting with him in the world. And then of course we have family members who are like, I love my dog so much. And they're like, like Eric said, I had family members tell me that they're gonna buy some kit off Amazon or there's this $150 kit that will allow me to say my dog's a service animal so I can fly them across the country to see you guys, et cetera. Like, People just are so lax about it because like Eric said, there's just these loopholes that'll give them access to just like claim that this dog can do this so they can just take it everywhere or board it on a plane with them, not board them underneath cargo, et cetera. So it's just kind of like this loose thing that now people are like, oh, I can claim this because I can. And there's like kits that allow me to just say that my dog is this when there's a more of an implication to that joking behavior about it. And just to clarify, I believe you can still take a dog on a plane if it's not a service dog. It's just that you don't get to do it for free. So I think it's important to, you know, <laughs> to note to that, you know, I have no problem. I love it when there's dogs on the plane, but let's not do it at the cost of somebody else who needs a dog. Yeah. And there's just like so few you know, I feel like dog ownership has increased immensely over the last couple of years, particularly this last year. A lot of people got quarantine puppies and there's no barriers to entry to become a dog owner. And I, you know, it, it just is kind of like a, a, a shadow of, of the industry as a whole, as Eric mentioned, that there's no governing body looking over over dog trainers, over service animals. And it's like, it's the same for dog trainers and service animals, but I mean, it's the same for, for dog owners. So like anyone can become a dog owner and there's, I see a lot of irresponsible dog ownership, even just on a, on a daily basis on walks around, walks around my neighborhood. Yeah. I, I kind of, I think Badiana kind of technically have quarantine puppies because people got, got puppies during quarantine, which is funny. 
and you know i i have a lot of friends who have a lot of dogs and i commend some of my friends who can go and adopt dogs and they go to the shelter and they get you know a few year old dog and they work really really they work a lot with that dog and sometimes they can't take them to dog parks or to friends houses you know because they have a dog or whatever else it is and i i really admire them and i commend them and for those people who are willing to put that much effort into it like that's fantastic and I think there's there's different avenues that people can acquire a dog. I did, you know, get mine from a breeder. Um, and that was right for me because I do want to take my dog everywhere. And, you know, I, I didn't want to kind of start with that slate of potentially having some back issues there. And so, you know, with this whole, these whole, you know, adopt, don't shop slogans on top of inexperienced owners getting dogs just to kind of get the dogs for quarantine. I think that's where we kind of run into a lot of issues. I think the only other one that we didn't really touch on too much was therapy dogs. And this is something that, so my golden retriever is, I, I can't even tell you how calm he is. It's amazing. However, when we're out walking, and so Eric's going to laugh at me on this one, when we're out walking and he sees another dog, he barks. Oh, he barks and he tries to get at that dog because he wants to say hi and he wants to play. And it looks very, very aggressive. Uh, and so one of the things that, you know, when I got him, I was like, he's so great. He's great with me and my emotions. He could provide the same kind of support for other people. And I would love for him to, you know, go into hospitals and cheer people up or go into a nursing home and provide some comfort to, you know, some elderly folks who may not have a whole lot of that and I think you know what a what a great way for him to be able to just spread the love anybody who's known a golden retriever knows that they just have so much love to give but that you know I, I won't do that <laughs> we're not even going to pursue it because he's got to have that baseline training right um, so maybe Eric you can help us understand a little bit more what therapy dogs are what their purpose is what training they might need and what allowances they would have in relation to like service dogs and emotional support dogs. Yeah. Therapy dogs. It's just, they basically provide comfort for people. Uh, and it doesn't have to be your dog. You know, you go into a, a, a hospital a school, things like that. That's where um, that dog just provides some stability and some comfort for that person. What's becoming real popular where I live, where we live is school resource officers are training therapy dogs to bring into the schools. So right now I'm training the Westport police officer, school resource officer, I'm training his dog and pretty soon probably Dartmouth, which is the next town over. So those therapy dogs are being brought into the schools by the police officers to provide comfort for kids that you know may be bullied, having a tough day, those types of things. So that's really what a therapy dog is all about is to provide that comfort. Now, when it comes to training, <laughs> The dog has to have, you can't, like the the Westport police officer that I'm helping with his dog, very nice dog, likes to pull on leash, a little excitable when it sees people and likes to jump and things like that. So we had to fix those problems before you can actually bring the dog to school. And now the dog is doing great. So the dog definitely needs that, you know, needs good manners, obviously. Can't jump, can't bark, can't bite, um, has to be house trained. And then again, we get back to temperament. What's the dog really cut out for? That has so much to do with dogs, you know, and, and people really need to take that into consideration when they're thinking about getting a dog. Because what I see in my business a lot of times is the dog's personality doesn't 
kind of match up with the owner's personality. You know, you got a guy who likes to, you know, maybe hang around, watch movies, just kind of a couch potato type, and he gets a border collie. Absolute wrong dog to get. He needs a big old mastiff that's going to lay on the couch with him. <laughs> right? That's the dog's temperament. That's what they're kind of geared for. And um, a guy that's really active, you know, likes hiking, swimming, and doing all this kind of stuff. And then he gets, like I said, a big lazy dog. Again, not matched up right. So when it comes to therapy dogs, when it comes to service dogs, when it comes to everything we've been talking about today, the dog's temperament has so much to do with it. And as you were saying, golden retrievers are perfect therapy dogs, right? Because golden retrievers are just big mush balls. They just want to curl up with you and hug you and, and they want that attention. And it's pretty rare when you see an aggressive golden. And I know exactly what you're talking about with your dog. Your dog just wants to party with that other dog. And so... He becomes barking, and the owner goes, "Oh, the other the other dog owner goes, oh, please don't let your dog come up to mine." And you're like, "No, really, he's a nice dog. He just wants to play." <laughs> but again, you can't walk into a hospital like that, right? Where the dog's pulling, and maybe he sees another dog and starts barking, and those types of things. Those are things that absolutely have to be taken into consideration when it comes to therapy dogs. Is what's the dog's temperament all about? Because really, if you have an intense dog, like a maybe like a German Shepherd or a Malinois with that kind of Belgian Malinois with that kind of drive and focus. They don't, they don't really want to just hang around and, and hug and let jump up on people's laps and let them pet them and do those types of things. So that's where you have to really take into consideration. What's this dog all about? Does this dog really like attention? Some dogs don't even like to be touched too much. My German Shepherd, she's like, you know, she'll come up to you and say hi and you go, Oh, nice dog. And she's like, okay, that's enough. Thank you. That's her personality. You know, she's just like, okay, that's, we're, we're good here and hug her forget it she hates being hugged <laughs> she's like no she's like my daughter right she's like my daughter's a german shepherd my son's a lab right my son is a lab or a golden you know and that's that's the whole thing that you have to take into consideration is what's the dog's personality all about if you want a good therapy dog yeah definitely and from my research for therapy dogs and you know special restrictions or special access is really nothing uh, <laughs> other right. than you know, as long as they're certified and you have that certificate as proof and the hospital's like, okay, you can come in, then that's yeah. that's really the only allowance that that offers. Yeah. And that's why I said it's a good idea to join some of those organizations. If you just type in therapy dog organizations, there's plenty of them. As I said earlier, one of the most popular ones is Therapy Dog International, but it's good to join those organizations so that you are working with a group of people in an organization that really understand the process and what's expected and the insurance part of it is important. If you're out there listening to this and you're thinking, yeah, I think I want to do this with my dog. I want to be a therapy dog, which is great. We need more of them, right? There needs to be more hospitals, schools, these types of places. So check out some of those organizations. I think Eric made a great point in saying like people really should really be mindful of like their character and matching the breed to the characteristics of their personality. So they get the dog that matches that. That in itself is a huge implication on why so many people have issues with dogs or end up giving dogs back or just they're not really thinking about how this breed is compared to who they are in their life or their lifestyle. So it's really important if you are going to be pursuing getting any animal for whatever you need it for to make sure that you are pairing yourself with a breed that has the right temperament to do what you need it to do, whether it be therapy, service animal, or just a family pet. Yeah. And, you know, also take into consideration your living situation. Are you in an apartment? Don't get a dog that needs a huge yard. I mean, right now we're guilty of that. We have an 
Anatoly and Shepard and we're in an apartment, but we're hoping to uh, <laughs> to uh, remedy that situation soon. Not by getting rid of the dog, by getting out of the house with the yard. Um, although sometimes it's like, hmm, maybe you'd be happy elsewhere. <laughs> Just kidding. Send her to me. I'll take her. I'll take them all. Okay. Much to my boyfriend's dismay. <laughs> yeah, she's the best. was really informative and I hope it helps people just kind of better understand what the different types of you know uh, service therapy emotional support animals there are and you know if you need one definitely take advantage of some of the resources that Eric had outlined and do a little bit of research on your own as well thank you everyone thanks